You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from Matthew 5, the verses 1 to 16. Listen to these words in the light of our theme, Reclaiming the Earth for the Kingdom of God. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The text for this morning is taken from Genesis eleven twenty-seven to chapter 12, verse 9. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said, To Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out from the land for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, from time to time it's good to ask yourself some first-order questions, such as, where did I come from? And why am I here? And where am I going? It's good to do that because it is so easy to become distracted and forget where we came from and why we're here and where we are going. What our ultimate destiny is as a child of God. And so the more we remind ourselves of those first-order questions, the more the answers that we give to those first-order questions will direct our focus and fix our gaze and energize our lives. This morning, I want to focus on the second of those first-order questions. Why are we here? Imagine if we asked Abraham that question. Abraham, why are you here? God has called you twice, first in Ur and then in Haran to go to a land that he's going to show you. Once you get there, what are you going to do? Why are you going to be there? Make it big? Become rich? Milk life for all the thrills and kicks you can get out of it? Or are you going to be there for another purpose? And what if we ask the first readers of Genesis, 
that question. That second generation of Israelites encamped on the plains of Moab, about to enter the promised land. Hey, brothers and sisters, you're about to conquer the land of Canaan. Well, once you have, what are you going to do? Why are you going to be there in that land? What is God's purpose for you anyway in the land of Canaan? And what if we were to ask another generation of readers of Genesis, those living in exile in Babylon, why are you here in Babylon? Why did God actually send you into exile? God's going to bring you back into the promised land. Once He has, are you going to live in a different way than your forefathers lived? Whom God threw out of the land and sent into exile? What lessons have you learned from the past so that history is not going to repeat itself with you. Well, our text of this morning gives us a very, very clear answer to that second, first-order question of life. Why are we here? If we get this wrong, we get all the rest wrong. If we get this right will understand a major theme like a golden thread running right through all of the Scriptures. Why are we here? And our text clearly tells us that the reason why we're here is to reclaim the earth for the coming kingdom of God. It begins with... Abraham being an Ur of the Chaldeans. And that word Chaldeans reminds you of Babylonians. And Babylonians reminds you of the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel reminds you of God's command to fill the earth with all sorts of people, to not remain stationed at one place in the earth, but to spread out over the face of the earth. Because the whole earth is God's kingdom. and God wants people to live all over the earth and to reclaim the earth for His kingdom. It reminds us that those people of Babel were disobedient to that command of God. Let's make a name for ourselves. People don't do that. That's not our prerogative, to make a name for ourselves. That's God's prerogative. 
And so one of the reasons why God sends him out is exactly that. And also because they didn't want to spread out over the face of the earth. You don't want to go out over the face of the earth? Well, then I will confuse your language. And you will go out over the face of the earth. But that reminds us, and it raises the question, what's going to happen to God's kingdom? Because when God spread those people out, there was no Noah. You see, when something like this happened before in a different form, when the earth was filled with violence and it grieved God that he had made human beings and God flushed all the people off the face of the earth, there there was a Noah. And God was able to continue with Noah. And so whereas the people before the flood did not reclaim the earth for God's kingdom, God was able to begin to do that with Noah again. Although it didn't happen there either. Now when God spread these people out with the Tower of Babel, there was no Noah. A righteous man. A man who who walked and who talked with God. And you say, what's, what's going to happen to the kingdom of God now? Where is God going to find a new Noah? Well, he finds a new Noah in Abram. Abram is the tenth generation from Shem. And Noah was the tenth generation from Adam. Two times ten. God made a new beginning with Noah. The tenth from Adam. Now with the tenth from Shem. He's also going to make a new beginning. And reclaim the earth for His coming kingdom of God. And God's going to do that through His Word. God's going to speak to Abraham. He's going to say, leave, get out of her, get out of Haran, and go to a country that I will show you. God's going to make this new beginning through His Word. Just like God made the first beginning of creation through His Word. Ten times God said, let there be. Let there be, let there be, and there was. And as a result of God's powerful speaking, creation came into being. The kingdom of God came into being. And now what God did at the beginning, He's going to do again in His reclaiming of the earth for His kingdom. Through His powerful Word. Go. Leave. What a test that must have been for Abram. Leave. Leave your country. Your relatives. 
and your family. Make a clean break with your pagan past. You know, they didn't have email in those days. They didn't have laptops with a webcam. You could talk on Skype. So Abram could see his relatives and so, and just like he was talking to them face to face. None of that they had. This was an enormous command that God gave to Abraham. Make a complete break with your pagan past and go to the land that I will show you. He he doesn't even name the land. There's complete uncertainty here. Abram doesn't even quite know where he's going. And so God comes to Abraham with words of encouragement. He gives him seven promises. It's wonderful. Abram, you have to make a clean break. That's tough. And you don't even know where you're going to be going. That's kind of confusing. But I'm going to come to you with my promising words. I will make you into a great nation. One. I will bless you. Promise two. I will make your name great. An allusion to Genesis 11. They wanted to make their name great. And God says, no, I will make your name great. Third promise. You will be a blessing. Number four, and I will bless those who bless you. Five, I will curse those who curse you. Six, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Seven promises. The number of completeness. God is going to be Totally and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy with Abraham. And then in those seven promises, you have five blessings. I will bless you, number one. You will be a blessing, number two. I will bless those who bless you. Number three. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's actually number five. Because there were two in the other one. I will bless those who bless you. Five blessings. And if you go through Genesis 1 to the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, you'll notice that there are five curses. So obviously these five blessings are given in a certain way that they relate to those five curses. And God had said to the serpent, for instance, you are cursed of all the animals of the earth. 
And God had said to Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. And God had said to Cain, so now you are cursed from the earth. And God had said to Noah, I will never again curse the earth. Five, God had also said to Noah, Cursed be Canaan, son of Ham. When they laughed, when they saw Noah's nakedness, he was drunk. Cursed be Canaan. Five curses, five blessings. What's happening here? With the new beginning that God is making with Abraham, God is going to counterbalance, counteract those five curses that He had pronounced. With the new beginning that God is going to make with Abraham, God is going to restore the life and the bliss of paradise. Abraham is indeed going to reclaim the earth for God's coming kingdom. You ask yourself, is it true? You know, sometimes God's promises can be too good to be true. You look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not sure God is going to fulfill that in my life. And we have the same with Abram. Our text says that Sarai is barren. How in the world can God make a great nation out of Abram when Sarai is sterile, is barren? That's a, a problem, a conflict that is introduced in the Abraham narrative. Just like in a novel, you have a, a conflict introduced. And near the end of the novel, the conflict is resolved. And this conflict is not resolved till chapter 23 where Sarah bears Isaac. But now already, the problem is introduced as a conflict. How is this going to happen? Sarai is barren. And Abram, well, he's 75 years old. And when he's 99 years old, he still doesn't have a son. In Hebrews 11, we read that Abraham was as good as dead. A man who's almost a hundred years old doesn't father children, humanly speaking. And a wife who by that time is almost 90 and is barren will not bear a child either. And yet, Abraham obeys. He's like a second Noah. God told Noah to build the ark in a desert, as it were. And because Noah was righteous and he walked with God, Noah obeyed. And Abraham obeys as well. And he travels about 400 miles to the land of Canaan. 
It's not really very far, 400 miles. When I lived in Vernon, it was 425 kilometers from Vernon to, to Langley. And 400 miles would be about 600 kilometers, so it's just a bit further. But for Abraham, that was a long way. No cars, no bicycles, no scooters, and exposed to a lot of dangers. A lot of dangers. And he knew that. And yet he went because he was a second Noah. And when he arrives, we find him in the area of Shechem. Beside the great tree of Morag. And we're told that the Canaanites are in the land. And you say, what's happening here? I'm going to give you a land, God had said to Abraham. And all of a sudden we read that this land is occupied by the Canaanites. Someone else has the land. And Canaanites. Wait a minute. We heard this word Canaan before. Cursed be Canaan. The offspring of Canaan, the Canaanites, are cursed. The land is not just occupied. It's occupied by an accursed people. And God renews His promise. Even though that's the case, Abraham, occupied, you see people all over the place, and accursed people, I come to you with my promising word, and I say, I will give you this land. I will give it to your offspring as an inheritance. I will give it to you. It's a gift of grace freely from me. And then we see Abraham building an altar right beside the big tree of Moray. That was a pagan shrine, that big tree of Moray in Shechem. And right beside that huge pagan shrine, Abraham builds an altar. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, side by side. And whereas Noah, when he came out of the ark after the flood, built an altar and he rededicated the earth to the Lord as God, reclaiming the earth for the kingdom of God, so Abraham, when he arrives in the land, right beside a pagan shrine, builds an altar and dedicates that little piece of land to the Lord his God. And he does the same in Bethel. And even though the text doesn't tell us, it wouldn't surprise me he did the same in the Negev. 
Our text is clearly showing that Abraham is wandering through the land, an occupied land, by an accursed people who are worshipping pagan gods, and Abraham goes through that land building altar and altar and altar, dedicating that land to the Lord as God, reclaiming it for the kingdom of God. Why is he here? Remember that question? Abraham, why are you here? What are you going to do in the land? Make it big. Make it rich. Join the pagans. Conform to the style of living in Canaan. No. Right from the outset, Abram shows. My life is distinct. I have different values and different standards. There's something that fixes my gaze, that focuses my attention, and that is the coming kingdom of God. And God has given me this piece of land in the Middle East to reclaim that little piece of land for God's coming kingdom. And then those first readers on the plains of Moab, second generation of Israelites, the first generation had died off because of their disobedience to God. What are you going to do when you enter the promised land? Why are you going to be there? And they read this narrative. They read this story about Abraham, their father, going through the land and erecting altars beside pagan shrines, and they know the answer. Just like Abraham went through the land building altars, so they are to do the same, literally as well as figuratively. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. They're a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. That's why they're there, reclaiming the earth for the coming kingdom of God. As a light to the nations round about them, so that the nations round about Israel could see what the inbreaking of the kingdom of God looks like. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a carved image of anything above, below, or under. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall rest on the Sabbath. You shall obey your parents. That's what life looks like when the people of God begin to reclaim that little plot of land that God has given them for the coming kingdom of God. That's what life looks like when the future of the coming kingdom breaks forth now already into the broken present. A new order, a new way of living 
is embodied and manifested as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then those exiles. Why, why, why actually did you get thrown out of the land? Why did you actually get trampled underfoot by the pagans? Because that's what happens to salt when it loses its saltiness. It's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot by men. And the Babylonians did that. They trampled you underfoot. And whoever didn't get trampled got taken with them into Babylon. But now, God's going to be merciful and He's going to allow a remnant to return. Why are you going to be there now in the promised land? And they read this narrative. They have this narrative from about Father Abraham. And they know how they ought to live. As Father Abraham built altars, so they are to build altars as well. As Father Abraham reclaimed Canaan for the coming kingdom of God, at least his posterity was supposed to do that, so they were to do that as well. So how's it going? with you and with me. Why are you here? Not just now in the pew, but why are you here during the week as well? What fixes your attention? To what do you direct your gaze? What forms you? What shapes you? How are you erecting altars beside the pagan shrines of this world? How are you distinct from the pagans of this world? How are you being faithful to God in that little piece of earth that God has given you to begin with your body, that little piece of earth, and then your property, where you live, and then in your relationships? How are you and I being faithful to God? By showing Him that we know why we have been given life and our bodies and possessions and other things. To use all of that, raising up altars to God, reclaiming that little piece of earth that we've been given for God's coming kingdom. That's hard. Because you have to make a radical break 
with all other priorities that are clamoring to become the main priority in your life. Abraham had to make a clean break. And you and I have to make a clean break with all those things in our lives that clamor for our attention and that threaten to push out what ought to be the main priority of our lives. And yet God comes to us with a promise. Just like He came to Abraham with a sevenfold promise. Seven promises that contain five words of blessing. And He says to you and to me, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, that's how you erect an altar. To be poor in spirit. Totally dependent upon God. Blessed are the mourners, for they will be comforted. That's another altar. Blessed are you when you you mourn your sins. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, there's not much mercy around these days. Blessed are the merciful. That's an altar. That's how the values of heaven are breaking forth into the, into the broken present. Blessed are you. That word blessed is like bon voyage. Have a great journey on your way to the new heaven and the new earth. Bon voyage. Blessed. That's the way you reclaim the earth. For the coming kingdom of God. The only way you and I can do that is to fix our gaze on Jesus who left it all behind. He who was in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be taken advantage of for himself. But he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant. He disadvantaged himself for your sake and for me. And he erected the the biggest altar in all of human history. The cross. That's how the future breaks forth into the present. That's how the earth is being reclaimed for the coming kingdom of God. You lose your life. And in losing your life, you find your life. You die. The seed goes into the earth. It comes out. And it bears fruit for the coming kingdom of God. Jesus did all of that. For the sake of the kingdom. To make disciples. To reclaim the earth. For the coming kingdom of God. And the only way that we can follow in His footsteps is to focus on Him. And then the mystery happens. Just like the Lord's Supper. 
bread and wine. I eat the bread. I drink the wine. And I'm eating the flesh of Jesus. And I'm drinking the blood of Jesus. I lift my eyes on high. And the Holy Spirit connects me to Jesus. And I am fed from the body of Jesus. Just as surely as I am fed with the bread and refreshed with the wine. And when we fix our eyes in faith upon Jesus, the mystery of union with Christ occurs. His mind becomes my mind. His affections become my affections. His actions become my actions. Out of the fullness of His grace, I receive one wave of grace after the other. And He lives and works in me and through me so that together we reclaim the earth for the coming kingdom of God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.